at the very heart, at the very heart of biblical leadership is the picture of a shepherd. We're focusing during these last few weeks on the role of elder and deacon and how the biblical metaphor of shepherding relates to them. However, the shepherding image, as Jeremy said a moment ago, applies to all kinds of leadership in the Bible. It's a wonderful image to have in your mind when you're interacting. So even in the Bible, we see it's applied to kings and their citizens. We also see that it's applied to the home, to a father and a mother with their little flock there in your home. We can say it applies to your vocations. It applies to all your responsibilities. We could also say it relates to like your friend group. Like there's a leadership among your friend group youth. You know, you actually shepherd one another. The the world of business regards it as the better way to lead. So one business book I read this week says to define shepherding or define, yeah, define shepherding as, as servant leadership. It says it's servant leadership and then some, and then some. So it's not just meeting the needs of your employees or those you work with, but putting yourself in front as an example to follow and, and that's good and true, but we know scripture reveals something more about that and then some, that our, our true shepherd leader takes it, takes it all the way to a shepherd who, who sympathizes with us to the ultimate, even sacrifices himself on our behalf. So the leader is to be a shepherd leader, and you know in scripture, God is the real shepherd. To think that God would describe himself or put himself before us in terms of a shepherd is astonishing. And the first time we see shepherding imagery applied to God, who is that? Who does that in scripture? I wasn't exactly clear about that, and it's actually Jacob. Jacob, now old, he's blessing two of his sons. He says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham, Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And we think of how Jacob endured so many hardships when he was shepherding those 20 years for Laban. Oh, he knew what shepherding entailed very well. And we also think of Jacob himself being such a a wandering sheep. And therefore, at the end of his life, how much it must have encouraged his heart to think of God shepherding him. Well, we can think of multiple psalms that speak of God as the shepherd, including the one that's our main text for today, the passage many regard as the greatest text of any literature of all time, Psalm 23. The prophets also speak of God as shepherd a lot. Isaiah 40:11 is one of my favorites when the prophet says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. 
He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. I mean, how kind and tender. What a picture. And we also see in scripture that not only does God present himself as our shepherd, but he also describes those he calls to lead and care for his flock as his shepherds, his under shepherds. And it's a stirring thing to think that, you know, that in the Old Testament, the two most significant shepherds, Moses and David, God called them from shepherding literal sheep for years, especially Moses, to shepherding his people. And he wanted to cement it and ingrain it into his chief leaders that everything they did for those sheep, weather beaten, rugged, tireless, sun, heat, danger, attention, care, proactivity, planning, intention, all of that was a training whereby they could now be equipped to shepherd God's people, Israel. Beautiful. And at the same time, the Old Testament, as we saw, as we read Ezekiel 34, also says that human shepherds fail. And we just fail. Even Moses and David failed. Big. Ezekiel 34, Jeremy said, is one of his favorite passages. I I don't know. (laughs) It's a convicting passage. And it shows us that what the shepherds were supposed to do. I mean, it's a robust job description. Yet these shepherds neglected their job and actually they didn't treat the sheep well. Those who they were supposed to care for, they ran over. They didn't feed the hungry. They didn't search for the lost. They didn't strengthen the weak. They didn't heal the sick. Instead, they just looked after their own selves and not the sheep. And the result of that was that the sheep were scattered over every hill. It was failed leadership. And so amazingly, God's prophets, right on the heels of that, say, put words for God saying, I'm coming to do what you haven't done. I myself will come to feed my sheep, to search for the lost, to strengthen the weak, to heal those who are injured. Like, I'm coming. You can't do it. I'm coming. And we know really that he had to do so. No human shepherd was capable of meeting the needs of the sheep as the sheep need. Jesus comes in response to that to be our good shepherd. That's why when we read in Matthew, when he looks at the crowds, this teeming multitude of crowds, he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless or distressed and dispirited because they are sheep without a shepherd, because they hadn't been led well, because Messiah hadn't come. But now Messiah is here. The gospel is that Jesus comes to be the good shepherd. The good shepherd is God incarnate who comes to be with the sheep, the shepherd We need one with us to take our burden upon himself and lay down his life on our behalf. And he's the good shepherd. And just like in the Old Testament, then Jesus also continues to shepherd us through men he charges to oversee us and attend to us. So that Acts 20, 28, which is 
an incredible verse, Paul speaking to the elders of Ephesus. This group of elders, and he, he, he exhorts them, and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, literally that is, to shepherd the church of God, not just any church, but that church which he obtained by his own blood. It's that precious to me. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 2, specifically to the elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, like you have to do it, but willingly as God would have you. And again, it's heartwarming to think that the two most important shepherd leaders in the New Testament under Jesus, very similar to Jacob, Moses, and David, Paul and Peter, they were keenly aware of their own weaknesses and falterings. I mean, Paul was a persecutor and Peter was a denier. They were shepherds who knew that they needed a shepherd themselves, as chief of sinners, that they were sheep of the good shepherd first. So what does God's shepherding care of us entail? What's involved in our shepherding leadership of others? What do we look for in men God may choose to shepherd in his church? And we see right off the bat that it's not just a board of directors, it's a shepherding heart. So my main secondary source is Timothy Whitner's book, The Shepherd Leader. He summarizes four activities of shepherding. It's good to have them as categories in our minds. In whatever field and among whatever people we're engaged, a shepherd is about knowing and feeding and leading and protecting. Knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. And with that, let's go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, hear God's word. Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers, flowers fade, and this word endures forever. Let's pray. Gracious God, make your word rich and meaningful and solid and searching and alluring uh, to yourself today. Give us a sense of your immeasurable grace to us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So, I, so it's my conviction that David wrote this psalm as a teenager. So teenagers here, you just 
got this young man, just imagine this young man, you know, 15, 16, 17. He's out in the sh- with his sheep as his, as his custom. You know, he gets flung out with the sheep. And uh, he spends all this time with them, just working day in and day out. What a summer job. And at night, he's thinking about, you know, his muscles ache, he's tired, he's weary, and he's looking up the stars and thinking, you know, everything I did for these sheep, you do for me and more. And you have this devotional life of a young man, a heart that really that loves God as a young man. He's reflecting on that, he's turning it over. He, 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 you know, he has his little harp out, probably turns it into music. He's meditating on God's constant comprehensive care over him. It encompasses everything. He's just over, overwhelmed by it, it hits him. And then later, and when he becomes king, he probably puts the finishing touches on it. So David opens with these memorable, well-known, well-loved words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You supply all my needs. I have a lot of needs, and you meet them all. So children grow up, and they become less dependent upon their parents. We want them to be so. We want to train them up. And yet sheep are always dependent upon the shepherd. There's never a moment when the sheep is no longer dependent upon the shepherd. That's why one of the reasons it's such a telling metaphor. Every day. It says something about ourselves that every day we're in total need. A sheep can't make it on his own. A sheep dies on his own. So David, in this psalm we see, like now we can see David the shepherd king. And he's first of all a satisfied sheep of the shepherd. Before he could ever be the shepherd king of Israel, he had to be a contented sheep of the good shepherd. David sees himself as a well taken care of follower before he's a leader. I think about that all the time, that the most important thing for me and for each of us in the responsibilities God gives us is to have that sense that I'm a contented sheep of the good shepherd. And we see that in young David and something that was so significant in his life to be satisfied with God's management of us. So in all of our leadership, our, our deep contentment in God, it, it's welling up, filling, flowing over from us. That's one of the main ways we shepherd. Well, this moves to the four shepherding functions, and I'm thinking specifically of elder and deacon, but you can apply that to family, work, everything. So first, the shepherd knows the sheep. The shepherd knows the sheep. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and he's expressing the fact that his most important relationship is with God. As, as important as the other ones are, that's his heart, deepest core, fundamental relationship. God knows him. He knows God. He opens and closes the psalm, not just with, with God, not just with El, but with Yahweh, the personal name for God. Like, I know you. I know your name. That's the covenant name for God. 
And the psalm is really the most intimate of any of the psalms, maybe only challenged by Psalm 139, but I think Psalm 23 has got it beat. In this short psalm, first person plural pronouns are used 17 times. In this little psalm, like it's all about me, my, I, in the best sense. Like, you're not just the shepherd out there. You're, you're mine, I know it. Like, I've experienced it. I know you're my shepherd. You meet my needs. There's a sense in the psalm in which God lets him possess him, like you're mine. There's a sense in the psalm in which there may be theoretically other shepherds out there, but he's saying there's an exclusivity here. You are the shepherd in your mind. There's no other real shepherd. Like we're looking to be shepherded, but you're the God who shepherds me. And so a shepherd can't stand aloof or distant from his sheep. He lives with them, among them. Their lot is his lot. They go through it together. Incredibly hard work. I think of Jacob again, defending himself against Laban, saying, look, I was out there with them by day. The heat consumed me. The cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. You have this weather-beaten guy that's just been giving it all he had tirelessly straining himself to be the shepherd of these sheep for all these years. Shepherds often, often have uh, names for their sheep. They'll have a name that may refer to their size, like this is big boy, or this is a little one, or maybe their personalities, this is scruffy or feisty, or maybe some idiosyncrasy about the sheep, they'll give them names. Maybe that's one reason Jesus' parable in Luke 15 makes so much sense. Like economically, it doesn't make sense in the parable that a guy, a shepherd, would leave 99 sheep, put them to risk, like risk 99 to go after one who is who knows where, except that it's not just a commodity. Like he's named that sheep. He knows that sheep. He's going after that sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd who truly came to be with us, among us, to experience our fallen nature, to sympathize with us to the depths, and even to suffer our punishment of sin on our behalf. He says, I know my own, and my own know me. He says he calls his own sheep by name. Like, to think that Jesus has a name for you, I don't really know what that means exactly, but I love it. That he has a name for you. God's under shepherds, the elders and their assistants, the deacons are to know the flock. And that's the most basic responsibility of shepherding, to know the flock. There's a general macro way of knowing. You know, you know who belongs to the flock, who you're, who you're accountable for, who you're responsible for, who, who the members, attenders, and visitors are. You know their names, you know their children's names, you work at it, what the general needs are, what's going on with people. Um, to be a member of Lawndale, you have to go before the elders and, and profess your faith in Jesus, and the elders have to evaluate, you know, does this person have a heart that really trusts in Christ? How can we help them? Yeah. 
Do they, do they get grace that we're not striving to be accepted with God, but he's given us everything in Jesus? The deacons, you know, were the physical and the material needs of the flock. And together, am I aware of those who aren't just coming in the front door, but I'm looking at those that might be drifting out the back door. Like, are they being noticed? Am I praying for these people by name? Are they on my heart to pray for them? And then specifically, do I know them in personal discipleship relationships to the degree I can? Are there one-on-one relationships that I'm seeking to cultivate? You know, God changes people as people speak truth to people in the context of relationship. That's the heart, that's the bread and butter of shepherding. Second, shepherd feeds the sheep, feeds the sheep. Psalm 23, I shall not want. His shepherd God more than over above provides for him. Like I I don't have wants, like you're meeting my needs. He, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. David recognizes like I'm a sheep and my shepherd has to supply me with good food and good clean water to drink. And later in the psalm, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like there's these enemies that are, threatening me and seeking to trap me or attack me, but my shepherd, like, in the face of them, prepares a banquet for me. Like, there's not, it's not a problem for him. Or it may be the metaphor of a shepherd, you know, clearing the feeding ground of dangerous creatures and poisonous plants. So this is a safe pasture land for you to feed on. It could be shifting the metaphor to a host and a guest. And God plays host to us and invites us to his table, opening up the greatest intimacy in scripture of sitting down and eating with somebody in fellowship. Maybe that's the, the picture. You know, you get the picture of you know, when Absalom staged his coup and David had to flee Jerusalem. It was a very dangerous time in his life. And he's like so sad and he's hungry and he's weak. His son has opposed him and wants to assassinate him. And his friends are leaving Jerusalem and they get to this lonely place And a good friend of his, Barzillai, and his family, they come and meet him with beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched grain and beans and lentils and honey and curds and sheep and cheese. And they urge them to eat and take a rest. Maybe that's the picture behind that. Restored, strengthened in the midst of enemies that would come against us. And you know, God sustains us in the worst places, the most difficult times. So Jesus, our good shepherd, says the sheep hear his voice. It's one of those questions for us. Like, am I attentive to Jesus' voice here? You know, sheep are good at picking out the voice of their shepherd and they'll ignore another shepherd's voice. Like you can disentangle flocks by the shepherd's voice. Amazing, the gift they have to hear the voice of their shepherd. And it's just a question for us, do I know the voice of Christ? Do I know the voice of the gospel? Or do I listen to the voice of, of, of the law in my life? Or the voice of the, of the accuser in my life? Or do I know the voice of Jesus? 
And with Jesus, the good shepherd, when he reinstates Peter three times, he says, look, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Jesus, before the devil in the wilderness, having not eaten for 40 days, the devil tempts him and he goes, look, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Like you need the word. You need to be nourished in the word more than food. And so we think of the shepherd leaders in our church, you know, the, the macro general feeding of the preaching and the teaching, the organizing curricula, planning the discipleship opportunities in our church for the adults, the youth, the kids, and being involved in those. And then the specific, once again, that personal one-on-one ministry of the word and under all of that, praying for the power of the word and the life of the body. We might even look at the deacons and say, you know, they find somebody that's struggling with physical, literal food and they seek to provide food. The shepherd leads the sheep. Third, the shepherd leads the sheep. So in Psalm 23, David says, the Lord leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so we think, how does you know, a shepherd restore a sheep's soul or lead a sheep in paths of righteousness? Well, for a sheep, it would be that he refreshes his life by his tender care of him and that he leads him along the right paths to get to the right places. For a person, it goes much deeper. God, like God renews our heart, like the Spirit gives us a new heart. And then when our hearts get cold, he refreshes our heart and he accomplishes our righteousness for us and puts us in the paths of righteousness by his grace and keeps us all the way to life eternal. And so we know that a cowboy drives his herd, his cattle, drives them, but a shepherd leads his flock. One author reflects on this and says, we all like sheep prefer to be drawn, not driven. So the shepherd leader doesn't drive people, he draws people. Whitmer tells a a story of a group of tourists in Israel and the tour guide observed this shepherd leading a flock and just said to the tourists, instructionally, a shepherd always leads from the front. But later the tourists notice a flock of sheep with a shepherd who is walking behind them and they called the attention of the tour guide and said, but you know, that guy's following his sheep. And the tour guide promptly stopped the bus, got out and went and talked to the man, returned with a sheepish grin, announced to the tour group, he's not the shepherd, he's the butcher. Jesus says in John 6 that no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, draws him to me. God leads us by giving us direction and purpose. You know what your life would be without God giving you purpose, something to live for. And God trains us to, to, to love him and love others, to be conformed to Jesus, to want to be a part of his kingdom, to live this upside down life that's going to have eternal significance. The good shepherd, the Lord Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. They just follow me. And so Jesus entrusts the shepherds to lead the flock They lead in a host of different ways. They lead by, you know, a general macro way, by making decisions, setting vision, mission, policy, training to organize the fellowship and nurture and outreach. But 
The greatest leading is the micro-personal. It's, as Paul said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. It's through example, leading from the front. The shepherds of our church must set the pace for the church. And following hard after Christ and praying for the flock and being diligent to the discipling opportunities of the church, we lead from the front under the leadership of Christ. Fourth, and finally, the shepherd protects the sheep, protects the sheep. And sheep are fundamentally in need of protection. Uh, they, they, they stumble into dangers, as, as J- Jeremy mentioned. And I'd seen that little clip too. And they also have threats from the outside. And so Whitmer tells this AP report of a group of sheep in, a flock of sheep in Turkey in 2009. This one sheep was wandering and fell off a cliff. And then another sheep followed and another sheep followed to where 1,500 sheep, it was in the news, fell off a cliff. 450 of them died, but then the pile got high enough and cushioned enough that the rest were preserved. Said they lost 450 sheep. You know, sometimes our parents or someone might say, if everyone jumped off a cliff, would you follow them? Well, every day the sheep do, and we're prone to do that. We just drift along. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's probably better to translate valley of the shadow of death to deep darkness or deep valley. It includes death, but it's broader. It's all those hard, anxiety-generating dark moments, the grief, the sorrow, the, the trial, the sickness, it's the hard stuff that we fall into and the important thing is here, it's not mindlessly wandering off the path. Here, the, the shepherd leads you through that. And he must to get you where he wants you to go. It's that shepherds had to lead the sheep down these dark, treacherous ravines and out the other side to get to the pasture land or to get home. And so even though it's a dark path, it's part of the right path part of the righteous path even. The shepherd is a good shepherd and leads you through it. And it's hard. Some of you are going through hard things and have gone through hard things. But you see that in this part, the third person changes to second person. It's not now he, it's you, your rod and your staff. It's like in that dark moment, that deep ravine, that valley, he's now not speaking about the Lord, but he's speaking to the Lord. Or maybe even in the figure, it's that the shepherd is no longer leading them, he came back to check on them. Because you're with me, he says, you're you're at my side right here in the worst moment. So in the valley, the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd becomes even closer and more intimate, and you have experienced that. And you've shared that with me. And the shepherd is armed with this rod and the staff. The rod is this club, this, this cudgel to defend the sheep against attackers. The staff is a crook to goad the sheep in the right direction. It's this picture of a shepherd armed and ready with the equipment he needs, more than capable to protect and guide his flock. 
And we've got to place that on Jesus who's more than enough to defend you and care for you and direct you in the worst moments. And further protection is that there's these two qualities that follow the sheep. It's goodness and mercy, and that mercy is that chesed word. It's steadfast love and covenant love. A better translation is not that they follow after, but that they pursue. One commentator said it's like they pursue the sheep like the shepherd's sheepdogs, like going after them, making sure they stay together in the right path that God's goodness and covenant mercy is going after you. It goes after you to, to, to lead you all the way home and to protect you and be with you whatever God entrusts to you. And of course, that all brings us down to the good shepherd who because of God's goodness and his covenant love for us, he came down to protect us to the ultimate extent We had these tremendous enemies aligned against us. Sin as an enemy, death so fearsome, and hell itself. And the good shepherd came because of the goodness and covenant love of God, he came down and pursued us. And then he took our need and our sin upon himself and made it his own. And then he laid his life down at the cross in order that at that point of greatest weakness and defeat, it was actually the point of infinite victory for God's people as he conquered the evil one, held death and sin by paying to the full extent our cost and giving us the righteousness we'd ever need. He protected us and defended us and gave us victory. Shepherd leaders of the flock protect the flock against error and temptation and false doctrine, against just drifting away, mindful of our tendency to wander, looking at the front door and the back door of the church, being mindful of where people are. They protect the flock. But most of all, the shepherd leaders of the church just point us to the one who's the true leader and the true shepherd and the one who's the sufficient one to provide for all your needs. And if we ever doubted it, we just see to what extent he would go to defend, liberate, protect you from the enemies ranged against you. And he went down to the depths to lift you up and to provide for you and meet all your needs. Forgiveness, justification, adoption, sanctification, persevering all the way to glory, walking with you in the worst times. And that's the kind of shepherd we have. And may we be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd today. Amen.